little bit in my own life, and uh, uh, my dad was, uh, I didn't have a great dad, I had a phenomenal dad, and not everybody grew up with a great dad, I get that, I was fortunate enough to have an amazing dad, and also an incredibly great father-in-law, but my dad, um, he, uh, he was a pretty remarkable guy. Um, God decided to kind of pull him out of the kind of earthly life a few years ago and bring him up to heaven or whatever, and just uh, so I'm thrilled about that. But he was an amazing person. I'm the youngest of four in my family, and uh, I have two uh, two older brothers and older sister. Um, and in my family, it was. Uh, you know, bad language was not like, uh, you just couldn't use bad language. Bad language in my family even back then was uh, probably different than bad language around here or on the street or whatever, but we didn't use bad language. If you did use bad language or if you got sassy or smarted back or talked back or anything like that, you got soap, okay? Anybody like got soap? Anybody had? Okay, good. All right, we got a few, a few soap people in the house. You know what I'm talking about where they just like would lather up your mouth with soap on a washcloth. That's how my dad did it anyway. There, there are other ways of doing that. But one time I remember, I was probably only about five or so, and uh, my father knew that I had committed some act of something, and so I got soaped. But the problem was is that I was actually innocent. I didn't do anything wrong. And uh, my older brother and older sister knew that I hadn't done that, but I, there was no convincing my dad for whatever reason, he, he was pretty much assuming I did whatever it was. So now I have a soaped mouth, and my older brother and sister decide they're going to help me, so they fed me crackers. Now, a soaped mouth and crackers creates a whole other arena of stuff going on there, not, not sort of foaming at the mouth kind of thing. But anyway, um, so th- they were trying to help me out. They didn't really do all that great of a job. But my, uh, my dad was great, though. He... He would spend hours with my brother that's just a couple years older, and I, just for hours he would play baseball and sports with us, and he loved sports and loved outdoor activities, and he was an amazing guy. And I remember one time we, we uh, were going to go to a, a friend's birthday party, and so we went to, uh, in the area I grew up in Oakland, there was like a diamond dollar kind of store, and uh, that it had everything in it. I mean, it had all kinds of stuff, and so I got, went into the store. My dad went across the street to go to the laundry. But I went to the store, and back in the back corner is where they had the baseball bats. And so I thought, this is a great gift for my friend. I'll get him. We'll get him a baseball bat. And so I got to the back corner of the store, and, you know, I thought, okay, well, you, gotta, you just can't buy a baseball bat. I mean, you have to test the bat out, right? I mean, you have to, like, let it rip a little bit. I mean, you can't just, like, swing. So I looked around in the back corner, and it looked pretty good to me, and I was probably about nine or so, and I, I'm looking around, and I'm thinking, this is not bad, so I took the bat, and I thought, you know, you gotta, I tested a couple times, and I said, no, you gotta, you gotta rip this thing, there's no getting around it, so I looked around, just kind of checked everything, looked pretty good to me, just swung, it was an incredible swing, it was a great swing, just swung, followed through, and as soon as I followed through, I heard this, and it just, I heard this sort of sound like, only mega loud. And I had followed through on those long tubular light bulbs. You know what I'm talking about? And they were in a, in a box back here, and I had like taken out about 10 or 12 of those things. And I was like, 
whoa. And there was a woman who worked at this store, and she was about six foot six and weighed about 100 pounds, and she had black hair and a black bun, and she had like never smiled in her entire life. And so she's coming up the aisleway toward me, and I'm like, okay, this is not going to be good. So I did the only thing I could think to do. I went down a different aisleway and headed like going out the store just as my dad was coming in the front of the store. And uh, don't remember too much except for being at the counter and my dad kind of just smiling and paying for all these like broken light bulbs that I had broken. Never really said anything bad to me. Never really. I think he thought it was more funny than anything else but got away with. My dad was like an amazing person. My dad had, my dad had like, uh, he had dreams for us, four kids, both my mom and dad. I mean, they, they, they were, they had dreams and hopes and aspirations. They had, they had vision for us. And, and the kind of highlight of their dream and, and vision for each of us four kids was that we would build into a solid relationship with Jesus and that we would follow him through our life journey. And they prayed for that for us every day. Every day. Amazing. That was dreams and visions. I want to talk about dreams and visions today. Because especially for dads, and this isn't just for dads, but especially for dads, you have the ability as a dad, a grandpa, or as a mom, a big sister, a brother, a friend, a neighbor, you have the ability to build into the people around you. And if you're a dad especially, you have the ability to, to really influence and develop the people around you, your own kids in particular. You have an incredible way of shaping their life. And I don't just mean like setting goals for them and checking them off on a checklist. No, I'm talking about being people who help to give vision and dreams to your kids for what they can be and what they can become as God created them to be. I love that. So why don't I pray for us as we jump in here? God, I pray that today we would hear you speak to us, challenge us, encourage us along the way, that we would um, be open to your voice in our life. And for some of us, that today would be a day for us to consider maybe opening up to some new visions and dreams that you have for our lives, because that's who you are. God, speak to us today about vision and living for something greater. We pray that, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Hey, so who's good at vision? Who's good at dreaming? Who's good at dreams? Kids are. You might be. That's awesome. But kids generally are. I mean, there's like, it's untapped when you start talking about dreams with kids, right? I mean, there's like no holes barred. There's no, nothing holding them back. You can talk to kids wide open about what their dreams are. You can ask them about stuff. You can talk to them. I remember, you know, when you're about maybe, I don't know, six or seven or something like that, and people are asking you, what do you want to be when you're growing up? Like, if we were just to throw stuff out, what did kids say? What did you want to be when you were like that age? What are some things you wanted to be? A mom, a fireman, okay. What else? What's that? A teacher, okay, great. What else? Astronaut, okay. The first service had like, you know, architect, and they were like, you know, all, I mean, it was like amazing. They're, but yeah, there was all kinds of stuff. Like I was thinking, I was thinking big. I was thinking like Batman. I mean, I'm like, you know, but when you're a kid, you're, you're going for it. There's no parameters around you, right? I mean, you could be anything because that's the way it is. You can just go ahead and dream. And for a lot of us, 
That dreaming, the older we get, sort of shrinks down. It gets confined. It gets people telling us what we can't do. Or we start thinking in ourselves the things that just we're not able to do or can, would never be possible for us. And so we sort of get into this mold where we stop dreaming. We stop even looking to God to expand the way in which He sees us. To recognize, no, 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 that God opens us up all the time. He makes things bigger for us to dream. And some of us have shrunk down so much that it's really even hard to remember a time when we were really dreaming. Where we really had great dreams. Where we really had some visions of what God wanted us to do and to be. Well, today I want to talk about dreams and visions and why they are so important, because we might say, well, I don't know if it's all that important to me. I mean, really, what's the big deal about dreaming and, and having vision and all that kind of scale? I mean, leave that to people who lead, and then I'll just sort of follow along if I want to. But what is it, what is it if God is the one who has designed you a certain way, and He wants to lead you a certain way, and He wants you to discover and to live into some dreams and visions, and you've missed that? Well, it's not too late to pick up on that. So I want to give you kind of three things about vision today. So if you're following along on your outline, here's the first one. Three essentials to vision. The first essential of vision is to dream. It is to dream. It is just as we said. Kids are wide open to dreaming. Are you wide open to dreaming about a vision for your life? Are you willing to ask God and ask yourself, hey, I am open to you, God. Begin to create in me a sense of vision for why you created me the person that I am. Anything's possible, God. I'm not holding anything back from you. I'm willing to go there. There are different kinds of dreams out there. See if some of these strike you. There are daydreams. They have little to do with reality. They're based on kind of escapes and detours and just kind of flitting thoughts along the way. Those are daydreams. There are short-sighted dreams. Short-sighted dreams, they don't count the cost of anything. They don't really have any substance behind them, those short-sighted dreams. They're of no consequence to us. There are pie-in-the-sky dreams. Those are the kind of dreams that, that really are sort of they're sort of lottery dreams. They're dreams that are motivated by promises of happiness, but really their, their fulfillment finds itself maybe for most of us in material security. Then there are personal fulfillment dreams. Those are the dreams that are easy to spot. They're, they're goals and accomplishments that are always measured by self-gratification. It's what I feel good about. Those are the dreams I have, personal fulfillment in my life. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about lifelong dreams. I'm talking about the dreams that carry us through the journey of life with God. I'm talking about dreams that count for more than that. That God is investing into your life for you to live out. That bring the best about who you are and the resources of who God is and bring those things together. I love it when people come back from like a mission trip or students come back from a camp, a summer camp experience or maybe men or women are at a retreat and they've engaged with some conversations or they've been moved by a speaker or they've just sensed when they were able to be alone with God, God speaking to their life 
or they were about the process of working with some people that they'd never worked before. And God began to just stretch their imagination and stretch who they were. And they felt themselves being used by God. And then when they come back, they come back and they're overflowing. They're overflowing. They literally can hardly wait to speak and talk about what's happened in their life. You don't have to be around a high school kid that very long that's been at a camp that's really impacted them and God has got a hold of their life and you just can't believe. But they're, they're so full, they, they can't even begin to tell you what that experience was like for them. I love when we're around people like that because, because it's been a chance for them to cast off a bunch of stuff and allow God to dream dreams, allow them to think bigger, to think the reality of God is much bigger than they thought. The experience of what God wants to do has happened to their life, and they want to live into that, and they don't want to lose it. And we don't want them to lose it either. And if you've experienced that, you know what that's like. And then it kind of fades away sometimes. How do we keep that sort of moving forward in our life? How do we not lose a handle on that and just kind of drift back in? How do we keep kind of that white-hot relationship with God when it came, comes to dreaming and thinking about who we are. What are our dreams? What are your dreams? What are you hoping for in your life, really? What are you hoping for? I think one of the, the most uh, helpful books for us in the Bible that talks about dreams and visions is the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. It's an amazing book. It is the amazing story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is at a time in when the country of Israel, Jerusalem, all that has been overrun by the Babylonians. The Babylonians have taken the Israelite people into captivity or they've dispersed them all over. They're in control of pretty much most of the world that's known. The Babylonians are running the show. But then something else happens. The Persian Empire comes out. The Persian Empire is stronger than the Babylonian Empire. And the Persian Empire takes over the Babylonian Empire. And the Persian Empire now expands even more. And in the known world at that time, the Persian Empire now is in control of almost everything. And, and they're in control of every, if, every different area. And whenever that happens, whenever that happens, they watch very carefully in that kingdom what's going on in that kingdom. If there's an uprising over here in an area, they're going to send an army to put that out and squelch whatever that is. But an interesting thing happens to Nehemiah because he's one of those people that's been taken captive. And somehow, somehow, he begins to kind of move up the food chain. Somehow, Nehemiah finds himself being advanced. Even though he's from another country, he begins to be advanced in the Persian Empire. I think God's doing it. And as Nehemiah is advancing all the way up till finally Nehemiah, it says, Nehemiah is the right-hand man to the king of the Persian Empire. Just think about that for a moment. He is a foreigner, an outsider. But he has advanced all the way up until he is the most trusted one to the king of the Persian Empire. The most trusted one. He's right there. If there's a need, there's a thought, there's an interaction, Nehemiah. It says Nehemiah is the cupbearer, which means that the king trusts him to test everything, his food, the whole deal. But more than just testing food, he's a confidant to the king. He's the right-hand person to the king. How in the world does that come about? I think God's in the mix. 
some visions are pretty unique. Some visions just kind of come across our way without our even recognizing them at first. Nehemiah, the right-hand person to the king. For Nehemiah, he gets a very specific vision. And that vision, that dream, it grips him. And it comes, it comes from a journeyman, a fellow countryman that has been to Jerusalem and seen the state of the country and the state of the city. And he brings word to Nehemiah and he says, the city is completely devastated. The walls are torn apart. Even the doors to the city are ashes. They've been burnt to ashes. The entire place is a mess. It's just a rubble. Sometimes we're handed a dream. Nehemiah gets handed a dream from which God is going to create in him a vision. Well, I grew up in my summers, for the most part, were spent in our cabin, which was in Northern California in the Redwoods. And our family, my dad was a salesman, so we could travel, he could travel all over the place and home base from wherever he wanted to. We'd pack up the car on the last day of school, we'd drive to the cabin, we'd spend a couple of months at the cabin and then come back for school. And it was always interesting when we got back home, we'd drive up, we'd usually get there at night, we'd open the front door, nobody'd been in the house for a couple of months. You know what the house smelled like? I mean, it was just like dusty, and it was kind of dank, and it was just stale. No windows had been open. You know what I'm talking about? It just had this weird smell. It wasn't like it smelled like our house at all. And it took a while to air it out, get fresh air, and there had been locked up so long, there wasn't any fresh air in the place. It was just like stagnant inside of that house. And it took a while to get that stagnant stuff out. One time we came home from our summer vacation time and we came home from the cabin and drove up to the house and we got to the house and as soon as we got to the front door, something wasn't right. We got to the front door of the house and the house was ajar. And we opened the front door of the house and stuff was everywhere. I mean, somebody had ransacked our house. I mean, stuff was everywhere. Stuff was broken and thrown all over the place. Our neighbor's house, they had been away. Same thing, both houses, same time, hit by these people, just devastated both houses. The police came. It was scary as a little kid. I remember worrying about it. I remember those feelings of being in our house and, and not feeling secure. And looking around at all of the things that we had, things that we thought were precious things, they were broken. They were shattered. And things were just thrown around and some windows were broken. And it was a mess. I remember the feelings of what it was. It was just our, our house was like in devastation. Man, that did not feel good as a little kid. That felt bad. That felt really bad. When the news comes to Nehemiah, it's like a bad dream. It's not a good dream at all for Nehemiah. It's a bad dream. But it doesn't stop there for Nehemiah. He isn't held captive by that dream. He's not immobilized. He's not derailed from the dream that God's giving him. And God's implanted in him. And if anything, that dream is becoming stronger. It's begin to grow. It's, begin, it's beginning to take shape in a very practical sort of way. Vision taking shape. The dictionary defines passion as intense emotional excitement. 
If the first essential to vision is to dream, the second is to have passion for the dream. The second is to have passion for the dream. When Nehemiah heard about the state of Jerusalem, he did several things. We find it in the first chapter, verses 4 and following. He wept, he mourned, he fasted, he prayed. He wept, he mourned, he fasted, and he prayed. Nehemiah recognized the situation in Jerusalem. Could have been overwhelmed by it. In some senses he was. And this is what he did. He did those things. He wept over the situation. He fasted for it. He came before God. And he began to recount to God the promises of God for the country, for the people. He began to extol before God the ways in which the people had failed and how they had sinned and how they had not followed through on their commitments to God. He began to just tell God of the sorrow of the people for not following God. And what he was doing is he was basically clearing away before God. He was admitting everything before God. He was seeking God. He was asking God, God, would you, would you just look beyond that? Would you, would you let us turn a new page? Would you just make a clean slate for us? God, I'm asking you to give us a new chance. And oftentimes in our lives, that's what it takes to gain vision for what God wants in your life and in mine. It means to get before God and admit anything that's standing in your way that's blocking your relationship with God and say, you know what, God, God, I need a, I need a new chapter in my life. I need a clean slate. I'm coming clean with you, God. But until, until we do that, it's hard to really get God's vision. It's hard for us to gain a passion for what God wants to do in our life. Happens to me all the time. I have to take some stock of my life and look at it and say, God, if there's stuff in the way, i got to clear that. Help me to get rid I don't want anything blocking my relationship with you. He wept, he mourned, he fasted, and he prayed. Sounds pretty ominous, but yet it's the steps that almost need to be taken for us to gain God's direction for our life. We have to recognize that our lives sometimes get off kilter. They get out of center. We need to get back centered on God. R.A. Torrey said this, It is true that He does sometimes require us of us things that others to others seem hard. But when the will is once surrendered, the revolutionized life plans become just the plans that are the most pleasant. And the things that to others seem hard are just the things that are easiest and most delightful. Then don't miss this last little piece. Do not let Satan deceive you into being afraid of God's plans for your life. Isn't that great? Don't let Satan deceive you about God's plans for your life. I know lots of people who don't want God's plans for their life. They don't want to talk about that. They don't want to go there because they're worried that God will ask or require or whatever into their life something that they don't want to do. Rather than seeing what God wants to do as delightful and fruitful, Don't let Satan deceive you 
in that way. Passion is what grips us, right? Passion is what gets a hold of us and doesn't let go. Passion is what grabs onto us, sinks kind of its, its talons in us, just gets a grip on us. That's passion. Passion doesn't let go. When was the last time you were passionate about a God-sized dream for your life? When was the last time you just allowed God to speak into your life about a dream and a vision for you? You have one and only life, and so do I. Is God speaking dreams and vision into your life? Is He shaping you in such a way that you are motivated by a passion to serve God because you know that He loves you and you love Him? Are you passionate about God's dreams for your life? Passion ought to create excitement in us. It is a driving force for us. But more properly understood, passion is driven by two key components. It's driven by obedience and commitment. Without that, where does passion take us? Nowhere. Passion is driven by obedience and commitment. In other words, passion needs something to carry it through, to see it into action, to move it ahead. We worry about what God will do in our lives at times. We worry that God will, what He's asking us to do will cost too much or we won't be able to accomplish it or we're just not ready for it. I love what Eugene Peterson said. He wrote this. He said, here lies a tremendous mystery that God should be all-powerful yet refuse to coerce. He summons us to cooperation. We are honored in being given the opportunity to participate in His good deeds. Then catch this. Remember how He asked for help in performing His miracles. Fill the water pots Stretch out your hand, distribute the loaves. God does the rest. When we think, wow, I don't think I could pull this off, God can. We think it's all about us. We've missed what the vision with God is. Will it be worth it? What if my life doesn't turn the direction I want it to turn? What if it's just the opposite? What if your dreams are too big or not big enough with God? What if your dreams are way too small? What if God wants to do something large in your life? What if God wants to do something small in your life? But it's all significant. Bill Hybels, pastor in Chicago, wrote this, prayerless people cut themselves off from God's prevailing power. And the frequent result is the familiar feeling of being overwhelmed, overrun, beaten down, pushed around, defeated. Surprising numbers of people are willing to settle for lives like that. Not so with Nehemiah. God's dreams for him began to take steps toward becoming reality. Passion empowers our dreams to overcome the obstacles set before them. In the second chapter of Nehemiah, verses 17 and 18, Nehemiah shares the, the vision with his countrymen. He says this, Then I said to them, You see the troubles we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. 
Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let's start rebuilding. So they began this good work. The third essential to a lifelong vision is that we live it. That we live it. What good is a life vision if it remains a dream? If it remains a dream, it doesn't even create passion. Again, someone said that's the heart and soul of the Christian life is learning to hear God's voice and then developing the courage to do what He asks us to do. Nehemiah walks and assesses the walls. He walks all around the city. He gathers information. He sees what's going on. He sees the, where the wall's been broken all the way to the ground, where it's still partly standing, and he walks all the way around. takes him a long time to be able to do that, but he assesses the situation. He begins to figure out what's going on in this place. And then he gathers people around him, and he, he shares with them a vision of how to make the rebuilding of the walls of reality. How to bring the city back to where it should be. So it's a place of honor before God. It's God's vision, really, for Nehemiah. Nehemiah just gets brought on board to fulfill that vision. Nehemiah then owns that vision. Begins to get passionate about that vision. You know, a vision can be handed down. A vision can be handed down. Nehemiah hands down God's vision. God handed his vision to Nehemiah. Nehemiah hands it to the countrymen. The countrymen hand it to the others who begin to put it all together. Sometimes a vision is handed down. Someone may be handing down a vision to you. Or you may be the person that's indeed the person to hand the vision on to if you're a parent or a grandparent or a friend a teacher, whatever, maybe part of your role with God is God's going to give you a vision that you hand on down. My dad and mom came to a church uh, probably before I was born. And they, they got involved in this group of people and one of the things that was lacking in the church that they came to was they, they really were looking for people that would help them work with the junior high school students. My dad loved kids. My dad said, okay, I'll, I'll help. So my dad started helping with the junior high group of people and he started gathering some other adults in to help him and they were teaching classes and they were doing all kinds of fun stuff and taking kids on trips and just growing and growing. He did it for years and years and years. My older brother is about 10 years older than I am and he went to college and then he decided, you know, he thought God wanted him to be a missionary. So he went to a seminary and that didn't last very long. It just wasn't quite the right fit. Came back, got his teaching credential. And my dad said, you know, I kind of need to step out of the junior high thing. I've been doing that for a long time. Why don't you take that on? And my brother, who had just started teaching junior high school students as a vocational job, took over and said, okay. So he took on the task of doing junior high ministry at this church and keeping that ministry going and growing. And as he began to build a new team of people, I was just starting college. And he said, why don't you join my team and work with junior high school students with me? I thought, okay, so I jumped in and I started teaching kids and hanging out with kids and I love doing that. That led me to think about being a youth pastor. I love being a youth pastor and just kind of affirm my gifts and abilities along the way. And you know what? That vision somehow that God planted to my dad to love junior high school students got passed on to my brother, got passed on to me. 
I don't know why God does that stuff, but He does that stuff. And there may be some people in your life that God wants to pass on a vision through you. But you've got to be living the vision first. You've got to be saying to God, God, just be a clean slate in my life. You've got to be open to what God wants to do with us and to live into that vision. I love that the countrymen were incredible. They, they just responded to Nehemiah when he said, we're going to rebuild the wall. And they just said, hey, let's do it. And then they got after it. And they rebuilt the wall. Maybe it's time to take stock of some of your dreams and your goals in life and where they're really heading you. Here are some suggested steps. There's just four. Let me give them to you today. You might want to write them down. The first is take time. The biggest mistake that most of us make is to not take time to check out our life course and what's important and then to adjust it. A second is to share your dreams with your spouse, with your family, with close friends. Talk about your dreams and visions. Don't be confined as an adult person. No. Dream. Talk about your dreams. It's how they take shape. It's how God molds you. It's how people around you will encourage you and challenge you. It's how they will be challenged in their own life. A third is be honest about who you are and who God has made you. Take stock of who you are. The wonderful stuff, the shortcomings, all of it. Look at it. Open it up. And the fourth one is be deliberate. Have a plan to develop. Listen to God's leading in terms of the next steps for you. And I mean really listen. Get alone with God. Let Him speak into your life. Watch Him begin to open up some avenues of possibility for you when you begin to pray. Do you remember I talked about when we got back to our house the first time, not when it was robbed, but how when we'd come back and be closed up for a long time, it was just like stuffy and all that kind of stuff. Stagnant air. I think when we look to God for vision, it's kind of like a window. We've got to kind of open that window to get fresh air in there. We need renewed, fresh wind blowing in. Some people go to the window with God and they, they just crack it open a little bit. Then they get real close and they put their nose right down to that little open area where there's a little bit of fresh air. They put their nose in their mouth there and they just kind of suck in a little bit of air. It's all they want. It's all they want to take in. There are other people that go to the window and maybe they open it just a little bit a little bit more, but they stand and they look out the window at the possibilities, but really what happens is they wind up really just focusing in on their own reflection in the glass. And for most of those people, their vision is their own reflection and what's important to them. That's what they see. They, they don't even see the adventure beyond the window. They just see the reflection of themselves and their life is focused on the self. But some, some people, some people throw the window wide open. They throw the window wide open and they reach their hand out and lean out and grab, God grabs their hand and He pulls them through the window to a life of adventure with Him. Some people grab onto God and when they grab onto God, God releases vision and purpose and meaning in their life. I want to be that person that grabs onto God. 
I want you to be the person that grabs onto God, that lets fresh air just flow into your life because it's the breath of God breathing vision and hope into you. Let's pray. God, I pray right now, God, would you be a God of vision and purpose for us? Would you be a God that dreams dreams into us? Some of us haven't dreamed about our life for a long time. We're busy on lots of other stuff, but we've let dreaming go. We've forgotten about vision. We've gotten captivated and captive to taking care of duties. Making sure things are paid for. But we forgot to dream. Today, maybe there's some folks here that, like in the first service, maybe, maybe you're here and you just kind of lost a sense of vision and dreaming. You say, I, I just need somebody to pray for me. I would love if you would just take a moment to, to pray for me, Scott. I, I need to dream with God. If that's you today, just, just hold your hand up a little bit so I can see it because I want to pray for you. If you go, I'm tired of living this way. I, I want God to, to dream dreams in me again. Amen. Amen. You bet. You bet. Amen. Don't be afraid to ask God to dream in your life. Amen. God, I pray for those of, who just have lifted up that hand to say, I, I just want God to breathe into me. I pray for all of us, whether we lift our hand or not, because we all need it. We all need you, God, to provide vision and passion for us, to move us beyond ourselves, to be the people you want us to be. God, would you bless us today with that fresh start, that fresh wind, and begin to walk in front of us again. Help us to follow you. God bless us through Jesus. Amen.